Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, uh, Brian Karam. And as always, this is our Sunday show, uh, taking a look at what's occurred uh, in the past week. And of course, this week is no exception in the last few years. Uh, fun and frolic, some uh, events going on in the world around us. So joining us, as always, is John Bennett from uh, editor at CQ Roll Call, Michael Zeldin, a uh, former prosecutor, uh, federal prosecutor, and host of his own podcast, and uh, often seen on various uh, and sundry uh, networks around the world. But we're going to talk when we get back. We'll take our short break. But this week, we're going to unpack a this week in CPAC, the latest Fox deba uh, debacle, uh, Ron DeSantis wants to uh, have bloggers register with the state if they're going to talk about him, and uh, uh, is Biden running from the press? So take a look, and we'll answer your email questions as well. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me, John Bennett and Michael Zeldin. And Michael, I, I those who are are, watch, are listening can't see, but Michael was staring at something. I don't know what it was, but uh, we're gonna give we're gonna actually start with you, Michael. The the um the news this week that Donald Trump wants to block Mike Pence from testifying. Uh, unpack that for us. I hate that term, but unpack that for us and tell us what that means and why he doesn't want Michael Pence testifying. So backing up a minute, the January 6th committee wanted to speak to Michael Pence and he refused. And Shock. they never got his testimony. They never subpoenaed him. And the report uh, reflected that. Fast forward to the DOJ investigation, and the DOJ has said, Mike Pence, we want to talk to you, and here's a grand jury subpoena. So Mike Pence, <laughs> on his own initiative, says, no thank you. I'm not going to come in and respond to your subpoena because in my ceremonial role in certifying the election I was acting under the privileges of the speech or debate clause, which protects legislators from having to testify about 
legislative acts that they have undertaken. Pence is trying to shoehorn himself into that, saying, I was effectively acting in a legislative capacity and I don't have to come and testify. So Pence on his own is saying, no, thank you. It's a pretty spurious legal argument I think he makes, but nonetheless, he is still resisting coming in and testifying. So, so much for Mike Pence, the hero. <laughs> then Donald Trump, seeing that there's a subpoena for, for Pence, and I expect realizing that Pence's speech or debate clause defense to the subpoena is not likely to prevail, he himself has interposed an objection to Pence testifying, saying that if Pence talks about our conversations, it violates executive privilege. I am asserting that executive privilege, and therefore Mike Pence can't testify. Now, the courts have dealt with the current president's assertion of executive privilege and have rejected it. They have said right. that the privilege resides with the current president, and even if Trump has a voice in that, that voice does not overcome a grand jury subpoena for uh, evidence that it needs in the course of an ongoing criminal investigation. And it cites back to United States versus Nixon, where Nixon tried to prevent the disclosure of the tapes, arguing the same type of privilege. And the Supreme Court said, no, thank you, Mr. President, turn over the, the tapes. So give me, give me, give me. That, that's the that's the lay of the land. So you got two um, people asserting different reasons for the same objective, which is not to allow Mike Pence to testify. And to cut to the chase, do you think that Mike Pence will be compelled to testify? Yeah, I think that his speech or debate argument is not uh, going to prevail. And I think that Trump's assertion of executive privilege to prevent his testimony also is not likely to prevail, at least on the broad issue. There may be a question or two, but I, I don't think that in the end, uh, Pence will be able to avoid testifying. John, you've covered Pence. I've covered Pence. We know <laughs> of him in the past. Does any of this surprise you? Not a bit. <laughs> Michael Richard Pence was don't equivocate <laughs> no no none of it is is at all shocking the the shocking thing was perhaps that pence um you know by all documented evidence did the right thing on january 6th he defied president trump uh the whole day um but other than that day and some statements here and there and and now saying that he just thinks the country needs new leadership pence that is meaning himself um yeah. That he was, you know, he was loyal to Biden, or he was loyal, sorry, he was loyal to uh, Donald Trump for all four years, and in many ways is still loyal to Trump. Uh, he talks, you know, talks about Trump was a good president, has a strong record. So, you know, this is, this is, this is Pence protecting uh, Trump. And remember, uh, if Pence did testify um, willingly, then that MAGA base, <clears throat> excuse me, that MAGA base would... Um, that he needs some number of uh, to to get the nomination uh, would be even more angry at Mike Pence. Um, so politically, you know, he's not going to testify until you know the last judge or judges say, "Okay, Mike, uh, game's up. You got to get in there." So no, it's not surprising at all. I agree with Michael. I think eventually the grand jury will uh, will hear from the former vice president. 
Um, but it's seen Michael can can explain this probably better than me. That seems like that's months away still. Yeah, I, I would think it would be Michael. Well, I think that the grand jury is moving pretty rapidly, and Beryl Howell, who is the chief judge overseeing the grand jury, understands the imperative of the grand jury being able to move forward, and she's been acting quickly. The problem is going to be that they're going to appeal everything. So I think they'll get an order that says they have to testify relatively quickly. And the question is, will they appeal? Yes. And will the district court um, or the court of appeals stay the requirement that he testify pending the appeal? They don't have to. Um, and so, then they can appeal that as well if they don't like that. Yeah, they, they, they have two levels of the... Yeah, we have two levels of appeal. One is a matter of right. That's to the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. And then the second is a discretionary one um, with the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court doesn't have to hear it. It's in its discretion to hear it. So, so it could take a while, but um, I think it won't. It shouldn't be as long as like getting the McGann testimony, which was two and a half years of litigation. Right. How long do you Where think Don McGahn, Don McGahn, White House counsel for Trump asserted executive privilege or print or Trump asserted executive privilege on in, to prevent McGahn from testifying. And uh, two and a half years later, they finally reached a settlement and McGahn uh, testified. Yeah. Well, let's not fool anybody. If they don't get the ruling that they want, they'll appeal it to the Supreme Court, hoping that the their uh, their majority in the Supreme Court will give them the ruling that they want there there that's the court of last resort do you think how do you think that would fare in uh the supreme court i i don't think it will fare well there because i think this is pretty established doctrine now you, someone will say yeah well so is roe v wade yeah pretty established doctrine but i think the supreme court has in the cases that have come before it that related to the trump election gambits has not fallen in line politically with Trump's desires. Remember, he has yep. complained about the Supreme Court saying, look, I put these guys on there and they're not kissing my ass. my judges <laughs> and they're not and they're not, you know, being loyal to me as as they're supposed to. You know, how dare they be loyal to the Constitution instead of me? So I, I don't I'm not I mean, as cynical as one can be about the current Supreme Court and its political agenda and its uh, activism, you know, this is as activist a court as we've seen maybe since Earl Warren's Supreme yep. Court in the 1950s. In the in these matters, they've been pretty uh, circumspect about allowing politics to determine the outcome of the decisions. And Donald Trump, of course, was <laughs> while we're on the subject of Donald Trump, John, you shared with us. I I just love this quote. <clears throat> Donald Trump at CPAC. Now, first of all, of all the people at CPAC, he did draw a crowd. But I have to tell you, for the rest of CPAC, particularly Don Jr., Kimberly Guilfoyle, and, you know, I, I remember a time when CPAC was Sam Donaldson and, and Carl Rove. And, you know, there were actually people of, of consequence that would show up to speak about matters. And today it's a clown sideshow. And they have not – I've seen – Honestly, honest to God, I've been to high school PTA meetings that have had better attendance than the CPAC speakers until Donald Trump. 
And then Donald Trump shows up and man, they're still in love with him. And your quote just sticks with me. I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. And for the Christians who follow Donald Trump, I just want to say Matthew 17, beware of the false prophet in sheep clothing who comes as a sheep, but is actually a ravenous wolf. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. But nonetheless, <laughs> I, I look at that. What's your take on on the on Big Donnie in, in CPAC and that that quote? That's his message. That's yeah. that's his sales pitch so far. That's the closest that we've gotten uh to what he's gonna do for people. He's gonna bring them retribution. You know, um, if you got your, I'm sure you guys did too, uh, you got your January um home heating bills, you probably saw a pretty steep increase like I did. Well, Donnie isn't Don uh, President Trump, I should say, former President Trump, you know, it's it's not like he's huddling with his energy team at Mar-a-Lago or, or playing golf with his energy team and going over uh, possible proposals to bring those uh, heating costs down or energy costs down. Um, what he's doing uh, reportedly, uh, Bloomberg yesterday uh, reported uh, in between rounds of golf, Trump is coming up with things like that and nicknames for Ron DeSantis. So uh, this is this is vintage and flying cars. Don't forget the flying car. He's <laughs> going to bring his flying cars soon. <laughs> the flying motorcade, right back to the yeah. White House. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised that he says that because he's out for retribution, and he and we've talked about this here before. He tries to link, um, you know, the investigations into himself, the investigations into his business and his campaign, his efforts to overturn the election, January sixth. Um, all of that, plus losing the election. Um, let's see, what else do we got? Uh, we got people running against him now. He's he's clearly upset, despite what he says. Mike Pompeo, for one, yeah. says that and he he was part and parcel of the eight billion dollar, you know, he, or eight trillion dollar deficit increase. Mike Pompeo, when part of the administration, said nothing about that, right. but now he's running yeah. against Trump and he's brought it out. So Trump tries to link it to. Um, you know, the MAGA base, I guess, middle and lower middle class uh, white Americans. And um, somehow, you know, they need retribution for wrongs that have been done against um, middle class white Americans, um, which what we find in elections, especially and even the last one that Trump was on the ballot, um, that's not a winning message for Republican candidates. So, you know, he's not doing Republican candidates up down the ballot. Uh, any favors with not having a message. And remember in 2016, Trump had a message. It was immigration. Um, it was trade. It was American jobs. Um, you know, it was stuff like that. He had a message. I'm going to fix all of this stuff for you. It was health care a little bit. He's got nothing right now. Other don't forget than the uh, I, 200 weeks of infrastructure week. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and, you know, his only message now is I've been done wrong and somehow you have too. Yeah. Michael, what's your take on it? Well, you know, it's funny. I was scrolling through the TV to find the station that it was on, and I found an obscure uh, 1980 Minnesota Twins uh, Baltimore Orioles baseball game of no consequence. So I watched that <laughs> in, in, instead. So, uh, never did never did make it to, to, to CPAC. But, well, your your priorities are straight then. <laughs> you know, it is always been thought that 
Trump will run a revenge tour. And that's what he's doing. He's he's seeking revenge against those who show disloyalty to him. And that's everybody. And he is going to uh, Messiah like uh, return and, you know, get rid of the, the, the sins of the heathens that have been in place since he left office. I mean, it's a terrible, uh, terribly frightening uh, message. As, I mean, look, Donald Trump can run for president. It's his constitutional privilege. And, and if he has a platform on which to advance the um, best interest of the United States um, along themes that he has been talking about for a, for a long time, you know, God bless him and let him, you know, see how he fares with the voters. But this notion of running a campaign that's with all the language of oligarchs and authoritarianism and anti-democracy and stuff. I think that is is dangerous. Um, and that that seems to be the theme he's picked up on. It's disappointing because he has themes he can talk about that are that are real policy. I mean, there are policy differences between Trump and Biden um, that he can run on. Um, immigration, as you said, Brian, being one of them, but there but there are many others. Um, environment stuff and um, criminal justice reform and other issues that they disagree. So we're not why not run an issues-based campaign? The answer is because he's not an issues-based guy. He's uh, oligarchical in his nature, and that's what that's well, what makes him feel more comfortable. Yeah, he's an. But I, what I want to look at is as it goes on, and what I notice out of CPAC is the um, the GOP statement or the GOP theme coming out of CPAC is the first Donald Trump administration did nothing wrong and all the wrongs that are visited upon us today are by Biden. And in fact, it's almost like denying that the first Trump administration existed and that Trump will come back and, you know, uh, ascend and seated at the right hand of the father type of thing. But what I look at with Pompeo trying to run a, a counter program to Trump and I don't know that DeSantis gets into this race. I I don't, and Hogan's not in it. Uh, DeSantis, I don't know if he gets into it. Nikki Haley getting into it only seems to be to become the VP candidate. Either way, it looks like if, if there's a lot of candidates, it increases Trump's viability as the nominee because he's got the large, you know, he only has 30 percent he'll have a bigger base than you know the other five combined if no one else runs then it's donald trump so it's increasingly looking like donald trump with the outlier being mike pompeo john yeah why would desantis get into this race right now yeah or, there's no uh, point in it there's no point you know we can i don't <laughs> i don't think the cpac straw poll is uh done scientifically it's not the Gallup poll. It's oh, not I... the ABC Washington Post <laughs> poll by any means. But DeSantis did lose 8%. He lost 8% year on year in the CPAC straw poll. He had 20% of the support this week. Uh, Trump was up a few points, but I'm not interested in that. Trump is always going to win that in a, in a walk. Um, but how can this, you have to, have, like I said about Pence, DeSantis would have to pick off some number, a pretty big number um, of that MAGA base from Trump bring them over to him and sustain it in, you know, a lot of primaries across the country. That just seems 
like a, a really uphill battle, especially DeSantis, for good reason. It's probably it's smart strategy. He doesn't really say Trump's name a lot. He doesn't attack Trump. He doesn't really no. criticize him. Um, and I don't really I don't think that that he could really do that. I don't I just have a hard time seeing anyone defeating Trump. But maybe uh, if Trump were the nominee and lost again, maybe that would be maybe that's the only way for the for the party to exercise itself from Trump is to have him be a two time presidential loser. And it's pretty easy then to make the case. OK, we're moving on. Yeah, that well. I, I, we're going to move on to the, <laughs> we're going to take a, a short break and then move on. I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. I still don't think in November of 2024, Donald Trump will be on the ballot, whether the actuary tables get to him or the indictments get to him or Mike Pompeo or Sununu or DeSantis. I just, maybe it's me, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I don't see it. I just don't <laughs> stick around. We'll be right back. Much more to discuss. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I am your host, Brian Carolyn, our weekly discussion of events of the week with uh, John Bennett, and Michael Zeldin. And of course, let's go into the legal parts that are, that are plaguing the nation this week. The latest Fox debacle, uh, sharing, they, they're going to get sued now, I think, for sharing uh, information on Biden ads, which would be interesting. Um, the suit claims that Fox made an illegal contribution to Trump's political action com uh, committee by providing ad material. The suit was filed with the FC, uh, FEC, the Federal Election Commission, by progressive watchdog group Media Matters. The suit seeks the maximum fine allowable for violations of campaign contribution laws, and the suit also seeks appropriate appropriate remedial action. Boy, say that fast three times against Fox, Rupert Murdoch, and the Make America Great Again Pact. Michael, uh, as as our legal expert, we'll go to you first. What do you think is going on, and does it mean anything? Well, it means that Fox is really not a news organization. Uh, it's an opinion. We already knew that propaganda <laughs> uh, organization. No, the the so the lawsuit uh, is a lawsuit, a civil lawsuit filed with the Federal Election um, Committee. Uh, no, it's not called committee. Uh, commission right. filed with the Federal Election Commission. Sorry, the um, FEC, which prohibits people from making contributions. Uh, of monetary value and a distribution of intelligence to a campaign or a pack is considered something of monetary value, something that you would have to pay for yourself. So if I, if I gave free polling information from my consultant 
in my campaign to another campaign, that's an in-kind contribution. It's it, right. it has a monetary value, and in some cases has to be reported as such, and in other cases, um, it's it's prohibited. And so what they have sued is to say that what Fox did, which was Biden placed ads on Fox during the campaign, and Fox gave those ads before they were run to the Trump campaign. That's or a gift. Uses counter programming. Yeah. So they could counter program. Right. That's that's a gift of something of value um, about which they're sued. You know, and we've talked about this before, Brian, is where is and maybe they have no jurisdiction. Where is the Federal Communications Commission? Thank you. Talking about Trump loyalists on Fox, Hannity and Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingraham purposefully giving false information. I thought that the news media um, was not supposed to do that. And now they're giving away uh, essentially stolen property to uh, a political campaign. How does it come to pass that that's not going to be governmentally sanctioned in some violation of your obligations under, you know, the Communications Act. I, I don't know. Maybe there's just no jurisdiction. But that's the horrible, horrifying thing to me is that maybe Fox will pay a billion dollars to the Dominion Voting Systems Company for um, defamation, and maybe they'll pay a fine to the Federal Election Commission, which is mm -hmm. nominal. Um, but nobody is saying, wait a second, wait a second. This organization really needs to be curtailed. I mean, there there's so much effort to curtail uh, Google and Twitter and all the social media companies and for them to have their um, platforms regulated against disinformation. Well, here's a the, probably the, the largest, most important cable news network on the air, purposefully, intentionally, disseminating false information. Why are they not under the same microscope that Twitter and Google are under? Good question. I mean, here we go, John. We've got a the, the Fox News caught lying with their pants down in the Dominion case, caught handing information to Donald Trump. But look, in the matter of, in the court of public opinion, and to Michael's point, do you think there'll be any retribution? And You've been in the White House briefing room. Does that mean anything for the other reporters in that room covering the president? Well, I don't know enough about the laws and, and regulations over all this. Uh, it's certainly so, John, let me just tell you, just in one sentence, it says, I'm just reading the lawsuit. Campaign finance laws ban corporations from providing contributions to political candidates. And they're saying that providing this information about the Biden ads is a contribution to a political candidate. That's the that's the, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's the essence. Yeah, so that, you can give okay. us your answer, knowing that that's the allegation that they gave illegally. Yes, it certainly seems like some kind of punishment uh, should be handed down. Uh, I sense that would be some kind of fine that the network being a large American corporation would probably find a way to write off, maybe even profit off of it. So 
I don't think anything's going to change on on the eighth floor yeah, of the Fox John, headquarters let me, let, building. Let me interrupt you for this. I, from you, you and I both know what goes on in that briefing room. You and I both know covering the president. We both know there's decent reporters at Fox, right? There's some people that well, are really good. What I was going to say, yeah. But is there any, do you think that the public at large, that there'll be any retribution against Fox because of this? Are you, yeah, are you asking, opinion? I'm sorry, are you asking, are the ratings going to go down? Is that what you're essentially asking? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Is, is there going to be any retribution in the court of public opinion? In the court of public opinion, I assume that, Ratings and revenue were the only two ways that the public could be any sort of court if right. the public cares, if if the public cares. Uh, you know, Fox is kind of like Trump uh, and it's it's a, it's most of the same audience. Uh, Fox is its own cult figure in many yeah. places. Um, it's you know, I've been in southern homes where it's just on, you know, yes. uh, you know, in some places. You know, um, ESPN's always on, but you know, down south, bars, doctors' offices, restaurants—it's Fox News that's on the screen a lot of the time. So, no, I don't, I don't think this changes much. Liberals, I don't, I don't think Fox has an incentive to really change its behavior. There you go. And nobody's going to jail over this, so they're going to pay a fine and and keep moving. Well, you know, so to the to this exact point, there was an interesting piece by um, Peter Baker. Uh, in the New York Times, I think it was today, uh, maybe yesterday, talking about sort of the fallout, the internal fallout, uh, when Fox declared Arizona for Biden ahead of everybody else. And there, there, was, a, there was an article about it, how they convened a Zoom call, essentially, to figure out what they did wrong by announcing correctly that Biden had won Arizona ahead of the other networks to the um, dismay of their listening audience. And people started tuning out of Fox um, after that after that call and how Fox was saying, we've got to fix this. We can't we can't be truthful. And you keep know, our audience. We can't keep be our truthful. audience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, that's it's where an amazing you, article. Yeah. It, at the yeah. end of the day, there's the indictment on American, uh, you know, free press. Somebody should write a book, but that's somebody did. <laughs> <laughs> but all, all, all kidding aside, uh, the book's called Free the Press. All kidding aside, the, the problem, I, I think, and John, you and I both know, look, we're sons of the South. I, you, to your point, I can go to an, my in-laws to this day. I can go to relatives in Kentucky. I can go to relatives in Missouri. I can show up at, at a at a bar and there'll be ESPN on one side of the bar, Fox News on the other. And I don't think any of this is going to matter one iota to them. It's it's going to be a zero. I, I think that it, at the end of the day, unless the FCC takes action, unless the government takes action, unless how we conduct our business changes, this doesn't mean shit to them. They're still going to lie to you and try to get away with it. And if it costs them a little bit more money, fine. They'll still make it on the back end off of ads. Right. Yeah. And right, 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 right. And, and back to your point about the briefing room. Um, it's kind of, it's a, yet another for Biden and his staff. It's a damned if you do damned, if you don't, 
Yeah. You know, Jackie, Jackie Heinrich and uh, Peter Ducey, they still have their seat in the front row. Yeah. Corinne and Kirby call on them special, uh, you know, Brian Deese before he left would come yeah. to the briefing a lot and talk about the economy. You know, they still call on those folks day in and day out. They're on Air Force One. They travel with the president. Um, and so if they froze those folks out because of what Rupert Murdoch or, or whoever else in management, what they were doing, um, you know, then they would be accused of censoring conservatives and it would feed back into the narrative that, you know, the Biden White House is censoring. And and if the FEC, you know, if there's a fine coming for Fox, well, that's just the deep state after conservatives. So right. they can explain all this away like that. Like that. Yep. And And the thing is, and I know there are people at Fox who, I mean, if you're just a reporter and feel like Jackie, they, they wanted to fire. It was Tucker Carlson and calamity who tried to get her canned because she uh, fact checked, you know, Trump in real time and, 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 you know, fact checked him and called him out for a liar and they didn't like it. And they wanted to have her fired. That's part of the dominion suit. But I, I know there are people that uh, good people that work at Fox who are good reporters who are, you know, they're, Morale is low because of what has happened, but it's not going to change. And it's uh, and those people who buy into it uh, will stay, and those who don't will try to find you know employment elsewhere. Which is you know I guess why our, our buddy Caitlin she ended up going from uh, not uh, uh, the Daily Caller to CNN and has found a home much happier for her there. The last thing we'll talk about in this segment, of course, is uh, the other legal matter going on, and this one just chaps my ass in a number of ways but uh, ron DeSantis wants to have bloggers register with the state of florida if they're going to write about him i think it's a problematic piece of legislation to begin with how do you who's gonna who's gonna check on that how is that going to happen but nonetheless this is a to me one of the most fascist things i've ever heard of from a man who's known for being a fascist and and john I, I, michael's got the legal on this but let's talk to you first about if you're writing, if you're covering Florida, if you're a blogger or a reporter and you have to register, be registered with a state to cover Ron DeSantis, what's what, what's your first thing going to be that you do? I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I That's an easy answer. What's the first thing I do? Don't register. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> first thing I do is nothing. Yeah. I keep doing my job. That's it. That's yes. it. What? what I'm sorry. I'm stuttering. I'm trying to, to form an answer I'm trying to I, the, the First Amendment to the Constitution seems like it's going to supersede that. I'm, <laughs> Michael's the lawyer, but um, it, it seems it's just another it's just another thing to. Um, well, this is a it's just it it's so out there. It's so outlandish that it, it's tough to even to take it seriously. Um, what's he going to do? Is yeah. he going to prosecute people because they wrote a blog post about him? Yeah, they're going to jail him. <laughs> and what's the difference in? I mean, I know he's the governor, and, and his his authority stops at the at the at the border. I get that. Um, what if I wrote a blog post about DeSantis? Right. You know, what's the difference in What's the difference in a blogger moving across the state line to Alabama or Georgia, and you know, literally standing on the other side of the line and hitting publish? Yeah, <laughs> I don't, what's he gonna do? I don't understand how this is enforceable. It's okay. But, you work for but, the Tallahassee but, paper and you write a blog. After you get done writing this day, just drive over into Alabama and file the blog and then come back. <laughs> all right, we'll put a dateline. We'll put a dateline. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
No, I don't. I, I, uh, but it will, this will further, you know, the, the crowd that he's after the voters that he's after, they'll eat this up. So that's what it's about. Yeah. Michael, is it even enforceable? Doesn't seem to, you know, the first amendment seems to, to govern it. And <laughs> when you think that, um, you have to have a system of registration with the state in order to criticize the state just doesn't seem workable in, in our, our democracy. But make no mistake that this is also part of a broader effort to water down the protections of the press, specifically New York Times versus Sullivan. Yes. New York Times versus Sullivan is a, is a Supreme Court case which protects public figures from being sued in defamation unless they're defamatory alleged defamatory statements are done with specific intent with malice um knowing falsehood reckless that sort of stuff and it makes it now, very let me interrupt real quick and say if you don't understand that watch the movie absence malice and you'll get it go ahead <laughs> right so it has to be shown to have it has to be done maliciously um in order to to prevail and and you therefore almost never prevail because Mistakes that media make about people often are just mistakes. They're not malicious, intentional right. acts uh, designed to defame. And what conservatives have been arguing, some conservatives, not all, they're not a monolith, um, is that New York Times should be watered down or removed to make it easier to sue uh, public figures for defamation. And if you say, well, what's the consequence of that? Go look at England. In England, right. they have no New York Times versus Sullivan protection. And publishers will not publish books of authors that offer criticism of people um, as willingly for fear of being sued. Um, even if the suit doesn't uh, prevail in the end, the process of being sued uh, is, is so debilitating and costly that they just say, well, you know what? We'll let America publish it or somebody else publish it. They don't publish it um, for fear of lawsuit. And so these little things, they think, oh, this is silly. This is a silly little piece of legislation. It's not silly when you look at it as a piece of the puzzle of what is underway here, which is to water down First Amendment rights and, and undermine our free press. And I'll, and I'll say it's a part of an even big, bigger picture. This is the same state where a legislator has decided to introduce a piece of legislation that would outlaw the Democratic Party. So you want a monolith of, of party power in Florida with the inability to criticize that party. Now, what does that sound like to you, John? <laughs> uh, not American. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I keep thinking of Mussolini, but hey, it's just me. It, it could be Pol Pot, it could be uh, the Soviet Union, it could be any of the above. But it's a it's it's a it's a fascist regime. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, John, you had a fascinating article. I want to talk about a little bit the Kissingers in Congress this week. So stick around. We'll be right back. And coming back in three, two, one. 
Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me again, John Bennett and Michael Zeldin. And uh, John, as, as I said, going into the break, you had a very interesting column this week uh, about the Kissingers in Congress and all these people that are floating around military spending. And you want to elaborate on what you found while you were there this week? Yeah, it uh, these things hit you when they hit you. And um after walking around talking to members and you know reading and listening uh, from afar it really struck me how um how how this congress is really knee deep in a lot of uh, uh global conflict global competition foreign policy issues and that's not what we expected uh coming into the 118th congress i talked to a, a few senators about this tim kane a Democrat from Virginia agreed with me that this Congress is a lot more focused uh, abroad than than a lot than even you know he expected, and he's been around a while. Uh, we expected them to um, to be fighting about all kinds of domestic issues, abortion policy, spending, the debt ceiling, immigration, inflation. I could go on and on. Uh, the culture wars. We expected that too. Um, and we just we've gotten that, too. And, and Kane had a funny line. He said he said, oh, we're going to do that, too. Don't don't you worry. Um, but right now, you know, they're focused on China, the spy balloon, the war in Ukraine. And it's that again, that's just not what we expected. And part of it is just global events have dictated uh, that they need to be. Now, China did fly a spy balloon over the continental United States. So you got to focus on that. But. It's been a different Congress. That is, if you're uh, in reality, there are some who think that it was an alien balloon and that we shot it down with an F-16. I'll mention that only as a laugh, but go ahead. <laughs> it could have been. We used the F-22 for something, so it could have been <laughs> aliens. We didn't mess around. Uh, didn't want to send the old F-16s after the aliens, at least not at first. Yeah. Until we got to look at their lack of capabilities. And, and, then, and then over yeah, over Lake Huron, that's when we sent in the F-16. Yeah, to send the old guy in. So, yeah, it, it's just a lot more uh, foreign policy focused Congress. You know, they had trouble getting organized on both sides. That's that's played a role here. And we haven't really gotten into this culture war that a lot of people expected. Um, we'll see if we do. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of prospect for um, for major legislation this year. But, you know, the other thing that struck me for the for the column was. Um, you know, you talk to members, and this has always been the case, but I, I think it's really it's really striking. Ukraine really brings it out, you know, just how every lawmaker, if you just do this, this, and this, or stop doing this, or send this these two specific weapon systems, Ukraine will win. Or um, if we just say this to Putin, we'll have a peace plan in place and, and a ceasefire. And every member, you know, it's just do these three things. And that's why I wrote the column. Some of them, uh, some of them are dovish, and they have a peace plan. If you just do these three things, other people are. If you send the attackums and two squadrons of F-16s, you know Ukraine will have this thing. Uh, Ukraine will have this thing won by Easter, and as if it's that easy. Because their yeah. pilots, by the way, can't, they've never even sat in an F-16. So you know that's that's years long training that those guys might need. So it's just you know how Congress gets involved in these things and and can make them sound so simple but they actually when they when they weigh in on this stuff so much they actually complicate it a lot more and the the point to all of that and michael I'll get your take on this because we've talked about and, and the biden administration has been very very 
solid and, and consistent in its messaging that we are helping them out with defensive capabilities only. Uh, it's reported that there are two pilots training right in the U.S. now that can fly to, to train them to yeah. fly the F-16. The F-16 is not a defensive weapon, folks. Uh, it, it can be, but it's not. And so the question is, is our own Congress, with the action that you noted this week, John, in danger of drawing us into th this U Ukrainian war in a, in, in a method not unlike LBJ when he said, you know, American boys are not going to travel halfway around the country to, to be involved in a war, but we ended up getting involved in a war. And so it looks like everything that it's going on, there are those who say, get out of Ukraine now. You hear that from the, mm -hmm. from, from uh, the GOP. There are members of, you know, and that's where the, the left and the right meet sometimes is on that. Michael, your thoughts? Do you think that it's we risk being drawn into it? And I'll get to you, John, in a second, but I yeah. wanted to get Michael's thoughts on it. Well, as I've said before, I, I really don't know uh, enough to know. And my view is that we sit on this knife's edge of facing the, the difficult question of is this the beginning of Soviet expansionism that should be curtailed or is it not? And it doesn't involve us. And I, I just don't know the answer, uh, Brian. I wish I had a, a, a clearer sense. That's about as honest, that's more honest than you get from people in, in the administration or for those against him. But I appreciate yeah. that. I John? just don't know. John? Yeah. You know, to the listeners out there, please do not fall for this line that the U.S. is only sending defensive weapons yeah. to Ukraine. Please. Um, that, that, that doesn't pass any smell test. The, you know, the, the Abrams tank is not a defensive <laughs> weapon system. Okay. Uh, these missile systems that we're giving them, they're not just, you know, hiding behind a tree and waiting for a Russian tank to, to happen by. They're they're launching offensive military operations. They're taking the fight to the Russians. These aren't defensive weapons. And frankly, I know I don't know what a defensive that. weapon is. I mean, I, I get it, right. but everything you can use in defense, you can use as an offensive weapon too. Yeah, the Ukrainians, Zelensky and others, they say that we're taking the fight to the Russians. So this is just you know, it's it's a little bit of spin. You know, it's a way to say that the U.S. isn't as involved as the U.S. is uh, for a lot of different reasons. It's also for Putin a little bit um, so he can not overreact. But no, I mean, the, the, the Abrams tank is a defensive weapon. Boy, that's, yeah. that's uh, I've heard a lot in 20-something years covering this stuff. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a whopper. <laughs> that's a, thank you for pointing that out. That's a, so I didn't have to. Yeah, I... I you know, I have a, you know, in case somebody comes at me and threatens me, I've got this tank. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm going to park it out front. Yeah. It's Second a defensive weapon. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to defy the, uh, the Posse Comitatus Act and put them on the line them on the Southern border of the United States. And, and she probably doesn't even know Hakuna Matata. So she couldn't be able to quote that one at oh. us. If, Oh boy, I can't go there today. <laughs> For those who don't know, I'll, I'll just say John and I walked into the White House one day asking, it was, uh, who was it that it was we? Jay Hogan Gidley, our yeah, old friend. Jay, 
Hogan Gidley about using, you know, you have to get a waiver if you're going to put uh, troops on the southern border because it, of the Posse Comitatus Act, by the way, which is often cited and supported by Republicans as a means of not militariz uh, militarizing the border. You have to get a waiver from Congress to do it. And we asked, since Trump said he was going to put troops down there, if they would get a waiver in the Posse Comitatus Act. And I remember Hogan going, is that like a rule or something? <laughs> and oh, we go, you know, it's a law. <laughs> and then, then he talked to us for a little bit more. And then when we left, John said, you're going to get back to us on that, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you on that Hakuna Matata thing. So not only did they not know what it was, they thought it was part of the Lion King. So, they did not know what Yeah, that you know, was. the thing about the Posse Comitatus Act, though, is my recollection is correct that it was passed to keep federal troops out of the South after the end of Reconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. So its history is not is not a noble one. <laughs> no, it was no. the mechanism by which um Reconstruction was sort of brought to a, a, a halt because there was no uh, federal troops there to enforce it. Yeah. Why don't you need a waiver to use an F-22 or an F-16 from an active duty squadron to shoot something down over the continental United States? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. That's I, I don't <laughs> It doesn't make no sense to me. No, but the Hakuna Matata thing always just blew me away. <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite stories, and <laughs> you know there there are many from from those four years. But that I just remember funny. looking at you and you looking at me. We were like, and you said, "Did he just did he just quote the Lion King? <laughs> did he just say that? Did that just happen?" <laughs> and it was, was Carolyn Sunshine day. who was sitting out there who kind of looked at us like, "Hey." <laughs> what do you want to from me? I'm just the person answering the phone. <laughs> she was she was the lowest um the lowest level press aide and all of what 24 years old. Yeah, she knew what it was. Yeah, she knew what it was. Yeah. she knew what Posse Comitatus had was. And by the way, she knew what Hakuna Matata was. But <laughs> so speaking of crazies, uh <laughs> Why are we covering Marianne Williamson running for president? Anybody want to answer that one? I, I saw her on a Sunday show. It was a, none other than our good friend from ABC, John Carl, interviewing her. And she's running because she wants to change the way the federal government is put together. Why, why, why Delilah? Is it just because she's filed and she's running for office? If that's the case, why aren't all the green candidates interviewed? Why aren't the... Many, many, many uh, other uh, ancillary parties that have candidates. Why aren't they interviewed? They have as much chance of winning the presidency and probably would court as many viewers. Michael, <laughs> you want a shot at this one, brother? Well, because she's easy to cover. She's, you know, sort of all soft. You cover the Green Party, the Socialist Workers Party, Communist Party, the Conservative Action Party, whatever the hell it is. Libertarians. They want to talk, talk policy stuff. And God forbid we should spend time talking policy stuff when we can talk about, you know, the, the soft stuff. So I just think she's she's an easy interview. Um, and that's sadly um, the explanation in my mind for why 
serious parties aren't serious third parties aren't covered and you know sort of flaky soft um funny in a sad sort of way candidates are covered because right. it's easier it's just flat out easier michael are you saying she's plucky comic relief <laughs> i would never use the word plucky but she, <laughs> she she's not a serious candidate john I, I, she may I have think, serious ideas but she's not a serious yeah. candidate yeah yeah i think that's right i you know she'll mix it up a little bit i think she's pretty good tv so you know if you're a uh, moderator of one of these shows a producer um you know you're also putting out a television product and 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 you know Whereas, like I think Michael's right, other serious, more uh, other party, other ah, other long shot candidates from third parties, um, you know, like he said, they want to come on and talk policy, and and that's not always what you're looking for. And I I think she's um, she's pretty good TV, and 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 she's eminently bookable and willing to come on your show, <laughs> and boy. Even 30 minutes of live television with two commercial breaks, that's still a lot of time to fill. So you got to think about that, too. You got to think like the booker. Yeah, that's well, I like how you imminently bookable. In other words, she's she's got an open book. <laughs> she's not going to pick and choose as much as, say, a Nikki Haley. And we right. really don't see Ron DeSantis anywhere. So, you know, they, they pick and choose. You know, if you're going to run against an incumbent president like Joe Biden um, from a third party, you're gonna you're gonna take most of the invitations that you get to go on television. <laughs> there you go. And on that wonderful note, we'll take a short break, another short break, and we'll be right back with some final thoughts and your email. Hey, just ask the question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. And John uh, Bennett, Michael Zeldin are still with us. And and guys, we're starting to pick up email. <laughs> so, so, I'm, I'm going to hit two of them this week that really I thought were, were kind of interesting. Um, Michael, I'll start with you. Uh, it, other than, you know, free the press, <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you do do your own podcast and it's about books. And so the question I had from a reader this week or a listener this week was your favorite book that you've reviewed. And of course, the other question was, how can you stand the Yankees? So I'll, I'll let you answer either one of those <laughs> or both. I'll answer them both. I've read a ton of great books uh, and including yours, Brian. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> you weren't required to say that, but thank you. There, there's, there's one book I loved and one book I found really important. The book I loved was called Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, written by a fellow named Sandy Greenberg. 
And his story is he was a uh, one of these all-American college kids um, from Buffalo who started having some vision issues, was um, not prescribed the right medicine, and in his sophomore year of college went completely blind. Jesus. And he is home after having eye surgery that rendered him completely blind. And his college roommate at Columbia knocks on his door and says, well, Sandy, when are you coming back to college? He says, I'm not coming back to college. I, I can't see. And now this was, Sandy is 80 years old. So his college days are way before books on tape and micro cassettes and all that stuff. You wanted to tape something, you carried one of those big um, reel-to-reel 50-pound right. things. And his roommate says to him, no, no, you got to come back. You got to come back. Um, long story short is he ultimately does come back and he does succeed and graduates Phi Beta Kappa and goes on to, to great things. And he lives here in Washington. I've had dinner with him and his wife a couple of times. And it's just the most remarkable story. But, and I'm not going to spoil the end, but who the roommate turns out to be that convinces this young man to come back to college and continue with his life is is the uh, is the most fun part of the book. Okay, so I'll, I'll ask without giving it away for those who don't know, does it have anything to do with the title of the book? It sure does. And for those who don't know, just you'll figure that one out if you read the book. So that's that's my most favorite. That's, you know, the one that gives you goose bumps. Um, and then the book that I thought was sort of the most important book that I've read this this year was called American Midnight um, by um, Adam Hochschild. And it's about the period in the United States around World War One, where the government was making the current Trump or the past Trump administration and January 6th looked like a walk in the park. It was the darkest days, I think, in, in our American democracy, these these war years. And uh, I encourage everyone to, to learn their history and read that book, American um, Midnight. So okay. those are the two books. All right. So I'll pick for, for now. And how do I like those damn Yankees? Well, yeah. so I grew up in New York. And you always root for your local team. But I'm of the age that there was no New York Mets, even though I lived right near where they built Shea Stadium eventually. Right. There was no, there was the, the Yankees or nothing. And so as an eight-year-old kid, I rooted for the home team. And I still root for the home team. And I'm not going to change that allegiance. So I'm sorry. And I, I think the person who said- Mick, I still think, you know, the, the Mick- um mickey mantle was you know my favorite remains my favorite and you know i think of sports as sort of romantic attachments to youth and the yankees are my youth and i'm not going to give it up to what root for the um local washington teams (laughs) stop rooting for the new york giants to root for the uh, the Washington uh, Commanders, if that's what they're called. Please. Please. <laughs> <For> the Nationals. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, that's a tough room. All right, John. So for you. That's that. I hope John, that answers your 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 
emailers email. question. I, I, if there's someone from Brooklyn, I'm sure they'll get back to us. Or, <laughs> or if they're a Mets fan, John, who's the craziest person you've ever covered in Congress? Yeah, I would, a little more. Is there any more context on the question? Crazy in what regard? Well, the the email was, I watch what goes on in Congress, and I know that, John, you covered Congress. You've talked about it a lot. Who's the craziest person you've covered in Congress? Please don't say Marjorie Taylor Greene. Craziest. Um, you know, I, 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 I go back to... Uh, the Tea Party movement and and its reaction to um, to Barack Obama as president and to his health care bill and uh, some of the things that that Republican members said uh, back then, um, you know, that really stands out to me in 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 terms of of um, that interpretation of the word crazy. Um, if you if if you defined crazy as um, you know loose cannon, blunt, uh, willing to say things that other lawmakers wouldn't, and and instead of it being a pejorative, actually kind of being a positive, um, I would put I would say John McCain. Uh, I used to love running into Senator McCain in the hallway and and get him going on something, uh, particularly if he just came out of an armed services hearing. I covered defense. Um, and he would mix it up pretty good with generals and secretaries and undersecretaries and uh, he would get riled up and then you'd get him in the hallway and and I mean he would just he would blow your mind uh, I remember one time uh, when Senator so you're McCain taking crazy is in a good way crazy in a good way crazy in a very good way <clears throat> crazy in a ridiculously transparent way which is what we should all push for from our elected representatives um you know, Senator Inhofe had filled in as acting. Um, I can't remember if it was if it was if he was the ranking member or the chairman of Armed Services uh, when Senator McCain was out with his brain surgery. And I called Senator McCain, and I don't remember the issue, but I said, you know, uh, the acting chairman uh, said he wanted to look into this or wasn't inclined to put this in the big defense bill at the end of the year. And, you know, McCain, Jim Inhofe was a good friend of John McCain and McCain whipped around and leaned into me and said, there's a lot of things the acting chairman did and said that I got to clean up. <laughs> and that's crazy in a very good way, in my opinion. And and, you know, he later came back to me and, you know, grabbed, squeezed my arm and said, hey, you know, you got that in the right context. While I was talking about Jim. Right. Um, so that's crazy in a very good way. Well, that brings us to the end of the uh, show, and I want to thank everybody, and we'll be back again next week. This is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks once again for joining us.